So where are you located? Because I sense a little oh. bit of an accent. <laughs> am I am I Central right? Wisconsin? Oh, so I, I probably have like the Midwestern slash Minnesota UP Upper Peninsula Michigan accent. I think it, it comes out most in the boat, like boat or, or bay. Yeah. The Picking Me Foundation is a nonprofit organization devoted to helping people with excoriation, also known as dermatillomania or skin picking disorder. On their website, pickingme.org, they state that dermatillomania is currently classified as an obsessive compulsive and related disorder and became diagnosable as a mental illness in 2013. Joe struggled to cope with difficult emotions and found herself going from one toxic relationship to another. She picked her skin as a way to relieve the stress and anxiety she was feeling. She has since learned to take back her life and decrease the hold dermatillomania has over her. My name is Katie Houston Davies and this is Mental Illness and Me. So my name is Joanne, I go by Joe, and I'm a mom of four young kids and recently divorced, have one girl with special needs and work in the Coast Guard Reserve and trying to just make it through COVID and all these like things that we're doing right now in emergency mode. You're getting me at kind of a a hard time in life. So I would like to do more fun things, but I think my priorities right now are really my kids and just trying to get on a better trajectory at life. So for my fun, for example, is reading about my issues, like self-help books and hanging out with other people in the sense of my, my church and family communities and friends that are around me. And they input a lot of healthy, like clear thinking into my life. Any little kind of like movement toward um, being more routine, less busy is a good thing right now. So Joe, when did you first start noticing symptoms of mental illness? I look back and I didn't have the self-awareness to realize it was mental illness at the time, which is probably most of us. The symptoms that first spoke out to me and why I saw a counselor was because I picked at my skin compulsively and I couldn't stop and I didn't know why. And I'm like, something's wrong with this. And it felt like an addiction. And I remember starting, I probably was around age 12. And so I worked on my own, trying to totally hit it from everyone. My closest friends and parents did not know. The only one who caught on was my brother. And that's because he knew me. And sadly I denied it like he would call me out or call me out to my parents and I outright like lied I I gave him the culture like no I don't and um I wish now I would have because um it kept me in in a secret place isolated and I did tell my mom when I was 18 I was like I can't be graduating and still have this you know, problem. And, um, it, the counseling didn't help essentially. And, um, other things were happening. I just was transferring or well, not transferring. I just graduated. So then I'm moving on to college and with all the changes in my life, um, 
just totally, I, I stopped counseling thinking I could conquer this on my own and I never did. And I got into some toxic relationships, which is um, probably where more of my mental illness came from. And that picking is called um, dermatillomania. Um, it was not diagnosable, I believe. And I think it was 2013 or around there. Um, so this is way back when I was 12, it was like 1991. So that's like years in the past. So, I mean, it's not a wonder that the counselor didn't recognize it or, or know about it. And I had that first little blip of counseling for maybe six months when I was 18. I started real counseling for myself 13 years ago. So you're, when you told your mom about it at age 18, then she yes. encouraged you to get into counseling at that point. She, she didn't know how to handle it. And so she, it's kind of, it felt like she handed me off to a counselor because that was a bet, the most loving thing she knew how to do. Right. Okay. And so you did that for six months and just, it wasn't helping. It wasn't helping. And I thought it was a sign of weakness. And so I was trying to get out of it myself because at the same time, um, my faith is growing. Like I'm a strong Christian now, but like back then I wasn't. And I thought, well, gosh, if I'm a Christian, I should have it all together. I can't be, you know, God's going to heal me or this. Or, like now I know those are not Christian, like real, actual, authentic Christian beliefs. But that's what my interpretation was. And so that messed me up. And I, if I had listened to the counselor, he could have helped me. <laughs> Although I know it was lacking because I remember telling him about how I ate almost a whole box of Oreos and, but it's, that's not what bothered me. What bothered me was my compulsion to pick at my skin and he got hung up on those Oreos. And I'm like, I don't really care about the Oreos. Like, you know, everyone gains 15 pounds and, and we just, you work through it. I was stressed, but it was the picking that really bothered me. And he, he didn't listen that way. So I would say, um, the counselor matters and, a good counselor will pick up on those things. And like you said, it may be that dermatillomania wasn't on his radar quite yet. I don't no, know exactly. Absolutely not. And I remember trying to explain how I'm picking, like I'm popping pimples, picking at my skin, like for hours. This is like, I'm, you're talking about like two, three hours at a time, several times a week. That's not normal. And I felt like I was trying to tell these, those counselors um, in the beginning for that first six months of counseling, because like they rotated changing counselors, which wasn't good either, but like trying to tell them, yes, this is really a problem. This is not normal. And so they were writing it off as normal and trying to find something like the Oreos because they did not recognize picking as a problem. Right. So you mentioned that you, out of high school, you got into some toxic relationships. Do you feel like that was in part because of what you were dealing with, with the skin picking? Not directly. I picked up my skin to medicate my feelings. I did not know how to deal with negative emotions in general, and I avoided them. I was not self-aware. And I would, I would say I was not aware of my feelings. I think it's only in the last, definitely in the last 10 years, probably closer to the last three years, where I've really been able to identify, yeah, I am, I am disappointed that I didn't fill in the blank yesterday. Whereas, you know, years ago, I just be like this, I just don't feel right. But I don't verbalize these thoughts. It's just like a, 
and I try not to pick at my skin, but that's how it comes out. Interesting. Okay. So, so that inability to deal with your emotions is what led you to the toxic relationships and the way that you coped with those feelings was through the skin picking. Yes. I, if I had got like in my image was important to me, I was a straight A student trying to meet people's expectations. I did not want to dis- disappoint anyone. I wanted to talk a little bit about these toxic relationships that you mentioned. Tell me a little bit about how being in a toxic relationship messes with you mentally and what kinds of things does it make you believe about yourself? So when I was in toxic relationships, I did not realize it at the time. I was with, uh, you know, I would say air quotes friend um, for seven years. And so I call it a relationship because we were friends. Um, But she abused me and controlled me. And I thought through until the very end, I thought I was doing the right thing. During about three years into that seven years, she began to slap me. Um, She never like would, you know, hit me and bruise me, but like physical fights were became part of our relationship. And that didn't even, it didn't even connect that that was wrong because she had such this grip on my mind that I let her have, I would compare it to a cult. But essentially I jumped from her relationship to my future husband, which I was married for 13 years. And I, I didn't catch it that because he didn't hit me or he didn't call me names like that first, you know, friend did, I didn't recognize it as abuse. So I, I was, I left one bad relationship recognizing, yeah, it's not okay to hit someone or, or, you know, but I jumped into another one and it started out just like the friendship did. Both were extremely charismatic people. They knew what they believed. They would share it as if it's fact. And I remember being so unsure of myself. And I come from this background of shame, you know, self-doubting myself. I need to make this mark of perfection or I'm all bad. There's no middle ground. And I just was trying to meet these people's authoritative voice in my life in order for me to feel self-worth. And then I left as I realized I didn't have to do that. So I would say um, that first relationship messed me up. So I didn't recognize what healthy was. My childhood kind of set me up for that. It's kind of like I didn't have the life skills to cope with those challenging people in life. I didn't know how to write them off. I didn't know how to think independently as, as I would have liked to at age 18. And some of that is normal development. And some of that is, you know what, I I wish I could have had more skills or learned something. And part of that was me and my parents connection. We didn't have as tight of a connection as I would have liked to. And they, they did their best, like nothing against them. I just think they didn't know how to know. And they definitely did not know how to talk me out of those relationships when I was in them. Somehow you had a a revelation that this initial friendship that you were talking about was unhealthy. What motivated you to end that friendship? She was like a cult leader. She used God's name. And here I am, uh, a newbie Christian. And I'm like, well, I want to serve God. She told me and seemed to have the answers. And so she is isolating me 
saying her way is the only way. And this is age 19 when I met her. And what will make a 19 year old young adult fall into sexual abuse, which I did not recognize as that. Um, what else? Yeah, I said, I think the yelling name calling um, physically hit me after about three years into the relationship and financially abusive. And like they took advantage of like whatever I made, it was our money, which was really codenamed for hers. And that's, that's not healthy thinking. And all, all I can say is that her intimidation, like I was so afraid of going to hell if I did not do what she said. I mean, it's, it's that sick, but that's what it was. What matters more to a Christian than your salvation? And so she kind of preyed on that. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I don't know how much she was malicious about it and how much she herself was looking back. I think she was also mentally unstable and had issues herself. And I think she lied. Half of it was to herself and half of what, half of it was to get what she wanted. So we had this sick dynamic where, you know, I would, we had like the, this survivor mentality where like she'd say something blow up and I'd, I would start to stand up or we'd start to argue. And then, you know, she would say, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry to like just cycle over and over for, you know, years. What changed was when she ended up getting married, she met someone and got married while we were still friends. And he started to challenge her in ways that I never dared. I didn't think it was even possible to challenge her. I just somehow in my mind, her way was the right way. And for the first time in my life, I saw her afraid of someone else's opinion or what someone else was going to do. So this man was not, I would say he wasn't abusive. I didn't, not, nothing I saw. However, he said some things and would act in ways that would not put up with some of what she was getting away with, with me. And I realized I could say no and still be okay. I'm so thankful and I, I hear other, you know, stories about how it is so hard to get family members out of cults. And I'm like, I, I get it. I understand why. And, and it seems like, you know, because a lot of people look from the outside and say, how could somebody yeah. get brainwashed like that? Yeah. You know? I, mean, I ask myself, I don't, it's, it's scary. You know, I was um, salutatorian at my high school. That's the girl that became brainwashed and let herself go through all these toxic experiences and put up with it and accommodated for it. But have since learned from it, which makes you stronger. Yeah, 100%. Pretty awesome. So when you got married, you said that your husband wasn't physically abusive. Mm -hmm. When did you start to Never. notice that it wasn't a healthy relationship? It took about 10 years. At year seven, we were going through significant problems. And I remember thinking to myself, and ask myself, how does anyone like stay in marriage? Like I just, but people were doing it. So I just thought, well, I just have to put up with this. And by put up with it, I, I mean, um, I would call him emotionally abusive. I think that's the best um, name for, and, and emotional abuse is like anything that basically crosses your boundaries it makes you uncomfortable but it's really hard to name like one guy described it as like someone's poking you and that individual poke means nothing like 
yeah, yeah, we poke each other all the time. That in and of itself doesn't make emotional abuse in a relationship. That is one incident. But the pattern is when someone keeps poking you, keeps poking here, there, there, you start to go, like, I felt like I was the one going crazy because I couldn't, I, I could not put my finger on anything wrong. It's like, this guy doesn't swear at me. He doesn't hit me. Um, the one thing he didn't have going for him was he did not provide for the family financially. So that put me in a very stressful situation. I was always trying to either work full time or, or trying to compensate for that. Cause we needed to, we, we ended up getting kids three years into the marriage. And I like, that's like mommy, mommy bear instincts. But if so, and if it wasn't for the money, aspect I might not have still to this day not have recognized how bad that poking is um but I can tell you it got so bad that about your 10 this was my breaking point I started to have physical pain in my feet and back I, I knew intuitively I knew it was because of the stress I was going through and I thought to myself this is not how marriage is supposed to be like I knew that like Christian or not Christian like this is not how marriage is designed to be. It does not make one person sick and give, and if, at that point, I didn't even recognize that I was trying to give my husband everything he wanted, not what he needed, but what he wanted. And um, I just knew I needed to say no. And I started having this regular time reading at night and it, it went through this, it, it was a devotional, but basically it was a workbook that, asked me hard questions and it was called take your life back and that really spoke to me because I wanted so badly I came from a background where I thought I had so much potential here I am trying to I even dropped out of college I didn't even finish my degree in college and it's like I can do so much more than what I'm doing and where I'm at right now and how do I take my life back and that was one of the best things I ever did and it taught me, and I think that's the beginning of when I went from victim to survivor. I, I just remember um, in, in talking with my husband, I would feel um, worthless. I would feel my character would be attacked. And, and somehow everything that was wrong in our relationship was my fault. And he would find excuses because he was never at fault that's the dynamic that's unhealthy. It was not mutual. And I thought if I would say things more clearly, he will understand if, if um, I can only do things better, he would understand. I really, I was seeking for this understanding from him when really that was unattainable. And here I am trying to get something from someone who's incapable of it or, un I mean, it could have been unwilling, but I, I really believe it was more incapable. And that made me crazy. And I would blame him for not having enough money because he overspent. I would blame him for where I'm at because I, you know, I did end up going back to school. But like there's other things that I was not doing with my life that I felt I blamed him for holding me back from. And so that book got me to answer my own questions and basically showed me my stuff that we are all accountable for our own actions. You cannot blame someone. Um, no matter what the pressure is, no one made you do it. And I realized I had a lot and a lot of owning up to do. This was not a one-sided, like um, negative relationship. We were both to blame. 
and my accommodating for his behavior made his even worse, if that makes sense. So that's, that is codependency. I was taking responsibility for his behaviors and not my own. It it was, it was great because I realized, well, I realized how bad of a situation I was in, but it gave me a sparkle of hope that I could get out. And that's what gave me hope because I realized this is not supposed to be like this. And there's something better if I stop doing the things what I'm the way we're doing them right now. Did you guys try <laughs> counseling and that kind of thing? We try. Yes. So basically I started counseling when essentially when I got married and started out as dermatillomania counseling very quickly, maybe, maybe two or three sessions. And then it went to, um, counseling with that toxic friend relationships. So the dermatillia mania just kept getting pushed to the side. No one ever talked about it, but then they talked about what they thought was more important, which actually probably was because that toxic friend had a lot of issues. And then I had marriage trouble. You're talking about year two in the marriage and all the, I, it was no longer counseling about the toxic friendship. It became all about my current husband and how we were unable to work together and what could we do to fix it. And we went through, I think I counted like seven, somewhere around like seven or eight counselors with him. We, we ended up moving or the counselors would change um, and nothing seemed to help. Or, and then eventually he quit going to counseling. I kept going. So that was just counseling. Um, we've tried almost everything. We, we, I tried everything under the sun that I knew of at the time. Um, like intensives, we went on a weekend intensive. We went on a week long intensive, um, and they were really, really good. And I learned a lot from them. It did not save our marriage, but it was not for nothing because I think those intensives, I I see the one in particular for five days. I think that helped me. That was an, it's like one of those aha moments where you never the same because it was a boundary lesson. Like all this, like previous to, I had very smudged boundaries. It was, I, I let people define me. I didn't know really what I valued. So I would say, yes, when I should be saying no, I would say no. And I should be saying it like there was very, um, and I was on other people's lawn all the time trying to tell them how how to lead their life when I obviously didn't even know what I should be doing. I'd say it's a boundary problem. An abuse is a boundary problem. It's when someone steps on your boundaries, whether you know them or not, and it's hurting someone else. And that specific marriage conference that I went to, that was probably the last, you know, big thing we, we tried. Um, it taught me not to put my worth in anyone else's hands to hold on to that. I don't need, you know, to do this or to, to put this weight on anyone else. That's not for theirs to take. And, and you can trust your, your friends. Like if I want input into my life, I can trust. There's certain people I can trust that are worthy of that trust. And I, I say, Hey, what do you think I should do in this situation? I'm really confused. And we kind of let those people enter our heart. We let them into that circle of trust. But when we let someone who um, is either, you know, wanting to play God in our life, 
um, which I had very many of those and, or someone that doesn't really care, for example, like they would tell you what, what maybe they believe or what they think. And they probably are not talking about my specific situation and my circumstances. Only I can define that. And I think that's what I've learned through all of this is that we do have more power than we think we are worthy no matter what anyone else says or does and our voice matters and no one can define that better than we can ourselves i it's amazing to me to listen to you because you have obviously gained so many insights from this experience and i think that that's really powerful that you have taken some extremely traumatic experiences and turn them into something so positive in terms of helping other people and just growing as a human being. That's, it's amazing. And you know what? I think that's my passion. Like that's my goal. And I really like one of the reasons I'm just so thankful you asked me on the podcast is because I do, I want a platform to share. I want to be able to help other people if they can recognize it, what they're going through or, or step out of it. Like I probably went through about 20 years of, of, I was a very toxic abuse and it hurt me and I'm still recovering from it. I'm, I'm sure I, I will be growing for until the day I die. I wish I knew then what I knew now just to avoid some of that pain. And my heart is to help others recognize it because like I, like I said, I went through this abuse and I did not even know I was being abused. I didn't know that I had a voice that mattered or that was worth something in and of itself just because, because I am Joe, that's who I made to be. And I have a purpose and a reason for being here and um, not to give that power away to someone who will trample on it. And I, I didn't even recognize they were trampling on it. So that's, I just have such a passion to tell people because um, I think people don't know how much they're worth when they're in those toxic situations. Cause that's the message you hear is that you are nothing. You mean nothing. Everything you do is a failure and, and anything that is a problem somehow it, it's your fault. Like it, the craziest things, like my, my ex-husband still to this day will say I, I'm controlling and self-centered and and my, my bestie will come and say, like, how does he say those things about you? And I, I, I tell her, I tell her his, his reasoning. And she's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> like, she can't believe. It. But in his mind, it's real to him. And so he sees it that way. Or, or maybe it's just a way of keeping the blame off of him. But when you're in that relationship or when I was in that relationship with him, I believed it. And I thought it was a flaw of my character. And I didn't recognize it as his flaw. I wanted to revisit the skin picking, the derm- dermatillomania. So what happened throughout all of this with that disorder and how is it going today? With skin picking, it, what, it existed throughout that whole ordeal of, of approximately 20 years of abuse. And it just added to the stress I was already facing. For example, not sleeping well at night. I'm already stressed by financial and all these other, you know, like I feel like I'm going crazy. Like it's all me. Like what can I do better? The toxic dynamics between me and those relationships would cause me to pick more just because 
more negative feelings, more stress, more worry would result of it. And I still did not have a healthy way of coping. And keep in mind, I hadn't developed strong boundaries, which I'm still developing to this day. So then they were like, not almost non-existent. And just to not just to have that muddled brain, not understanding what's right, what's wrong, what should I allow? What shouldn't I allow? This is all my fault. Um, I was picking and they, I remember even being criticized for picking. I am, I'm not through, and I don't know that I'll ever not have an urge to pick. However, I can tell you, I've been separated for two and a half years and that in and of itself didn't stop the picking either. But when I started joining a community and feeling accepted, and I actually, I think I cried the very first time I went to my first, it was a virtual meeting because of COVID. Um, and I met other people who picked at their skin or pulled out their hair. I met them virtually for the first time and I was in tears. And I think for the first time I, it started to break the shame because it was when I was shameful and blaming myself. And that was my biggest trigger for picking. And as I started feeling accepted and just realizing when I am picking, that's a crime. My body is saying, I need some self-care. I'm here, Joe, listen to me, listen to this, this heart. You're, you're, sh you're shoving it down in the corner, like bring it out. You are important and you matter. And when I, I carry my heart and I treat it with the respect and the love it deserves and say, you know what, you picked at your skin, you wasted some time or, or whatever it is that's bothering you about why I picked. And I can, I can say, you know what, I did the best I knew at the time, I, this is not in my best interest, but it doesn't make me any less of a person and I can move on and I will forgive myself. And as I tell myself more of those real and healthy thoughts, which is true, I'm, I'm not a lesser person for picking. I really am not. I, I, I start to realize I'm not a second class citizen and my actions follow and that breaks the cycle for me. And it was a lot of introspective work with my counselor that helped me as well as being accepted by other people who knew me and loved me. And that was my, my group online, which I still attend regularly, um, picking me, shout out, <laughs> pickingme.org. Once I, I joined that group, I knew there was a name to it. That also helped. I, I've only known about dermatillomania existing for 13 months. So I would say I probably pick 80% less now since I learned it was a name, I learned other people struggle with it. And I met some faces that how inspiring that just joining a community and feeling that yeah. shame wash away and to realize yeah. you're not alone, that improved it 80%. That's, that's really yeah. amazing. It's, it's, to me, it's amazing. Like I remember being in the bathroom on average, maybe like two or three nights for let's say two hours each. So it's what six hours a week average. Um, it's, it might be two hours a I might have a bad episode once a month or twice a month now. So, I mean, like that may even be greater than 80%. I don't know. But like um, the urge and the struggle is always there. But I start when I feel that urge, I can, instead of going to those old patterns of behavior and start picking, I can say, Joe, what are you feeling? What are you needing right now? Because it's a sign that I'm needing something. Um, usually it's, it's probably because I've been um, so caught up with 
you know, stressors and demands of life or, you know, some, you know, argument or some relational difficulty that is very triggering. And I just need to remember and put my life in perspective that I am valuable no matter what someone says or does. And um, my worth is never in question. But um, it's been just amazing and, and miraculous when we give our heart to what we need, how much lesser, for me, it, it came out in dermatillomania, how much lesser dermatillomania is a problem in my life. I wanted as my last question to ask what your best advice is for someone who finds themselves in a relationship that they think might not be healthy, but they're not sure, what would be your best advice for them? To remember and, and repeat whatever your mantra is that, you know, you are valuable, that your worth is never in question. Um, It's you're more than your performance, your ability to please others. Um, Whatever you need, whatever's at the core of your you probably have to do some self-examining or what is making you insecure right now? Is it someone else, what someone else is saying to you or what you believe about yourself? Cause it probably is something you believe about yourself. And that's why those people can speak to you or, or trigger you like that. And, um, to get to that heart and, um, and I would, I would say when you don't believe in yourself that I don't know if there's any way that you could just believe me, you have inherent worth probably a lot more than you know. And um, I let myself be controlled in an abusive relationship um, because my self-esteem, it was down the drain. I didn't believe in myself. I, re- I really was coming at the world as a second-class citizen and I am not, and I'm healing, but that belief um of now where I am, I have every right to be here as everyone else, even though I'm not perfect, even though I don't have it all together, even though I'm going to make silly decisions and mistakes in this life, I can still be accepted exactly where I am in the growth process of where I'm at. And if someone starts to criticize you because of that, then that shows more about their character than yours and not to own that yourself. The goal of Mental Illness and Me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness and Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness and Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mentalillnessandmekt at gmail.com.